Hey guys, welcome to episode 155 of The True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So we're so excited to bring another episode to you all. And it is a very exciting time because we are approaching summer. I My school actually goes really late this year. So our last day of school is the, the 27th. That just seems so long than norm, what it normally I is. Know. How do you feel about that? Sad. Sad <laughs> that all of my other like teacher friends are like done with school, like especially this past Friday. So, oh my gosh. That's why um, we are definitely releasing a Patreon episode this week and then obviously the next week after. So those will be the June episodes and we're going to do a date night after the last day of school. Yes, I was going to say the silver <laughs> lining to all this is that a lot of true crime uh, couple content coming at you. Yes, to it'll almost, be summer. Yeah, to almost celebrate the fact that you are done with another year of work. That's That was horrible. Summer K. <laughs> summer K is coming out. out. Yes. And this was a great school year. It was a really amazing thing. I was teacher of the year this year. So that was exciting. I'm clapping lightly. Yay. Congratulations. <laughs> That was really awesome. And it's just um, exciting to be recognized because teaching is really, really difficult for all our teacher listeners. Props on completing another school year and off to the summer. We are. It's hard. (laughs) The way you just said we are sounds like you're Yoda. We're a collective. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. So without any further ado, John, do you want to hear something crazy? You already know my answer. Located in the northwest corner of King County in Washington State, Richmond Beach is a neighborhood in the city of Shoreline. The driftwood scattered beaches of the Richmond Beach Saltwater Park create the quintessential northwest waterscape. In the 1970s, when this case took place, Shoreline was a world away from the hustle and bustle of Seattle, located just 35 miles south. It was a tight-knit community where everyone knew each other, and the residents of the town slept with their windows open, allowing the cool breeze from the Puget Sound to wash over them as they slept. But in the winter of 1975, the coastal community would be shaken to its core when a teenage girl was murdered just feet from the safety of her home. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. On February 15, 1975, George Peterson was getting ready to leave for work. He was tired and it was a cold, windy morning. George worked hard to provide a good life for his family. He and his wife, Leanne, had nine children. Nine. Nine? Nine. So you can imagine that he had to be a hard worker. As he was going through his normal morning routine, he was aware that his daughter's dog was barking in the backyard. It's always the kid's dog when when it's barking or needs to go for a walk. (laughs) Of course, always. This is the way it works. So it was not just the normal, like, let me back in bark. It seemed like there was something urgent happening um, or, or something had happened. The dog seemed frantic. So when he got the chance, he opened the back door to make sure everything was okay. Because normally this was a very laid back dog, like not a barker. So he wanted to let the dog back in 
because he figured maybe the dog's like just really cold. He didn't know how long it had been outside. But when he opened the door, he saw that his daughter Dinah's dog was barking so frantically because Dinah herself was laying on the ground. Outside? Outside in their backyard. Oh, no. Okay. So George rushed the few feet to his daughter, who was lying unresponsive on her back. She was very still and very cold. It was obvious to him that she was dead, but in vain he reached any way to check and see if there was a pulse. There wasn't one. Now he was frantic as well. He ran inside to get his wife and to call the police. George had done the right thing, even though it may have been very difficult. He didn't disturb the crime scene. He was unsure how it happened, but his daughter was dead in the backyard, and no one in the home had known what happened. When the police arrived just minutes later, they were able to look at the scene with a stoic detachment that they learned to adopt when analyzing a crime scene. They noticed that the scene around the girl told a story of a struggle. There was blood on nearby rocks and some steps and even in the grass. All of the officers and techs at the scene knew the only thing they could do when it came to the body was to take pictures. That is, until the medical examiner arrived at the scene. When they got there, um, she looked at the body and made notes. Next, she lifted Dinah's body to see if she could find a source of the bleeding. And when she did, the 16-year-old girl's cause of death was very obvious. She had a large hunting knife sticking out of her back. Still? Still. So she was face down with it in no, her back? No, she was, like, her back was on the ground, so she was face up. Okay. Wow. You would think they would want to pull that out and take that with them. That's weird. Well, it seemed that it must have been something quick. They stabbed her and just well, took off. Well, she was quite literally stabbed in the back. So it's kind of interesting now because was this person maybe lying in wait and then got her when she obviously she wasn't looking right in hmm. her own backyard in her own backyard yes and then now this is february 15th so it means that the murder must have taken place on the night of valentine's day well wh- then whoever did this is kind of well i don't want to say crazy obviously they killed somebody but it's pretty cold to be out there for a long extended amount of time so maybe it's someone that even lives in the area maybe because who would want to be out there that cold for or hours. someone that had been with her that night. Quite possibly. So George and Leanne were shocked. How could this have happened so close to home? The detective asked the couple questions about Dinah and what had happened the night before. Leanne said that Dinah was a free-spirited girl, and sometimes they had to rein that in, which was difficult to do, not only because she was a teenager, but because she had eight other siblings. So this couple was very busy in raising their family. Um, Leanne said that because they were trying to kind of control Dinah and some decisions that she was making, that she was actually grounded. George had grounded her for sneaking out and seeing her boyfriend, a boyfriend that they did not like because he was much older than her. So at the time, Dinah's 16 years old and her boyfriend is 19. So a three-year age difference really means nothing in like the older stages of a relationship. But when you're 16 and 19, you're in two totally different places. And that's a larger age gap when you're younger. Right. Also because one's legal and an adult and one is not. 
Yeah, and then the three years, that's not within the Romeo and Juliet law. But also at the time in 1975, the 19-year-old boyfriend was able to purchase alcohol, which was something that they didn't like. So if they could make a guess, they said that Dinah, most likely because they knew their daughter, had been sneaking out to see her boyfriend when she met her fate in the backyard. So that's why they guessed she was out there so late. Right, like she's sneaking to see him even though she's grounded. Correct. So George went on to say that Dinah was not completely grounded. She was able to have anyone over she wanted, minus the boyfriend, and she could go out, just not after dark. They had been trying to teach her a lesson. They went on to tell the detectives that Dinah loved her family very much, and she was just going through normal teenage girl things. They knew this because they had other teenage girls. Dinah loved all eight of her brothers and sisters, and she was described by her parents, and later her friends would describe her also, as sweet, bubbly, and kind. The kind of girl who was just always smiling. Your perfect all-American girl. Leanne said that earlier that night, so the night of Valentine's Day, the night she got murdered, Dinah had spent her evening in the basement of their home watching TV with two of her friends, a boy and a girl. As the night progressed, they grew bored of just watching TV, and Dinah begged her mother if it would be okay if she went out with her friend to get some pizza. Now, I think this interaction is very telling, because Dinah's parents wanted to ground her because they were upset she snuck out and saw her boyfriend. And here she is just days later, um, actually just a day later, actually, requesting to break the grounding rules. And isn't that just such like a teenage thing to do? Like, dad grounds you, so you beg mom, like, oh, please just let me out. It's Valentine's Day. I don't want to stay in. And then mom bends. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, but the thing that we have to realize is I think it's more of a grounding from seeing an older boyfriend than it is grounding her from everybody out in the outside world here. Right, and that's kind of what Leanne stated. She said that, What Dinah and her friend were asking, they were kind of pleading, like, it's Valentine's Day, we don't want to stay in. And she wanted Dinah to spend more time with friends her age, which was why she eventually relented and allowed Dinah and her girlfriend to go out for a slice of pizza on Valentine's Day and meet up with people their own age, because she was thinking, well, maybe she'll meet another boy who's 16. I mean, it's fair enough. And, you know, it's just a a cute interaction between a mother and daughter and just gives us a glimpse into the world of a teenager in 1975. And so funny that even now it's still the same thing. Yeah. I mean, some things just don't change, you know? So it was nine 30 that Dinah and her friend left for pizza. Dinah promised her mother that she wouldn't be long and that she would come back right after she ate. But that is kind of late to go out for pizza, I feel. Well, I think the mother knows that it's probably going to be a little bit more than pizza. And maybe there is, like like we said earlier, there is a chance to maybe meet other people. So maybe she just thinks it's part of the whole plan. And she wants it to happen. Right. So Leanne said that she was in bed when she heard Dinah come back into the house at 1030 p.m. When she heard the door open, she checked the clock just to make sure it wasn't too late. Shortly afterwards, as she was drifting off, she thought she heard some sounds coming from the backyard. 
She remembered that she had been annoyed because she thought that it was Dinah just out in the backyard, either messing around with one of her friends or her dog. And she kind of just wanted her daughter to go to bed because it was late. Now, she wasn't necessarily overly concerned because it was a Friday night. So she thought, okay, did Dinah bring people back with her from the pizza place? Or she was thinking that maybe she ran into one of her friends. Now, we'll get into this a little bit later, but the neighbor's house was kind of a party spot. So a lot of times the teenagers from the neighborhood would use their backyard as a shortcut to get to the neighbor's house. Okay, so they were accustomed to having people going like walking through. Correct. So they're thinking, okay, it, did Dinah open the door and start talking to somebody? That's what you're saying. Was the thought process. So because of this, Leanne went downstairs to see what was going on and maybe yell at her because she was kind of taking advantage of the little bit of leeway she had given her for breaking the grounding that, you know, George had kind of put in place. So when she opened the back door and peered outside, she didn't see anything. She called for Dinah, but she didn't appear and there was no reply. So maybe it hadn't been her. Maybe it was just some other kids cutting through the yard. And before she did anything, like before she just shut the door and went back to bed, Dinah's dog was kind of there and wanted to go outside. So she let the dog outside. And then after she let the dog out, she went back upstairs and went to sleep. Okay, so this is kind of like setting up this whole entire thing. So the crime scene, uh, I want to kind of take note, the crime scene could be a little bit more disheveled than we would think because you have, based on all the foot traffic that comes through, now you have sets of you know possible prints or tracks. And now it's not just like the family. It's also everyone that cuts through to the other house. So I'm sure that would mess up the crime scene a little bit and also add a larger um, possibility of people that might have killed her. Yeah, it's not just like you live in an you have an isolated backyard. There are a lot of people that have access to the backyard. And we always know we we get what happens at parties, right? I mean, people get drunk. They they could be doing drugs. So you never know. What could happen after a party like that takes place? Emotions could be heightened. A lot of things could be yeah. happening. Now, this is on Valentine's Day, right? Correct. So, right off the bat, we obviously have to go investigate the boyfriend. That's just common sense. And yep. then maybe, but also, there's people maybe at that party that we might want to investigate. But how do we find out who was there? Well, we will get there. All right. I don't want to fast forward too, too much. <laughs> but that's everything to consider at this moment in time. Yeah. And another thing to consider, too, was there was a bit of a struggle. But now we have to think about what Leanne did here that night. Had Dinah run into someone she knew and it was a playful banter back and forth that turned violent? Or had she misinterpreted the sound and it was violent from the beginning? That's what we don't know. And when she went out to check, there was nobody there. But then her daughter's body is on in the lawn in the morning. So that kind of is explained by the struggle that the police find where there's blood on the grass, on nearby steps and rocks that kind of go into the woods, that someone may have attacked Dinah and then grabbed her back when her mother went to go open the door. Right. And then put the body back on that side in, in that area. I'm guessing. Yeah. And, you know, before obviously the morning time. Which is terrifying because that is so sad to think that this 16 year old girl who was being attacked, murdered, her mother opened the door 
right? It's like that beginning scene in Scream. Yeah, it's like Drew this Barrymore. super close proximity that you just, you hate to see. I mean, you hate to see it ever, but you hate to see it so close to home where she was in distance. From her mother. From her, yeah, to her mother. and The safety she, of her yeah, home. Couldn't get there. That's really sad. It's really sad. So that's what the police are thinking took place. But the only thing they need to find out is, was this somebody she knew? Was it a friendly greeting or was it violent? Also, let's not forget that when she went out for pizza with her friends, there's a possibility that the boyfriend witnessed her with other people, which would make maybe make him uh, jealous and jealousy can sometimes turn to violence. Or maybe that's who she did meet up with. Or, or that too, like we can't, yeah, right, exactly. But I mean, if it was her boyfriend that saw her with others, that would make it okay. Like on Valentine's Day, you won't see me, but you're hanging out with others. Like, no, it that's could, very true. It could be something along those lines as well. So, and when you're a teenager, even the littlest slight can, you know, blows up, especially on Valentine's Day, and if there's alcohol or drugs involved. Absolutely. So next, the detectives asked George to tell them a little bit more about. Dinah being grounded. What had happened exactly to get her grounded? Because their thought process is kind of what you're thinking is, was this boyfriend involved? He said that his 16-year-old daughter was dating a 19-year-old boy, Tim Diner. Now, the, the, the one thing I want to say is, say things worked out with Dinah Peterson and Tim Diner, her name would have been Dinah Diner. <laughs> okay you would be the one to bring that up that's a, that's a <laughs> you immediately can't date <laughs> you think so yeah because i mean she she is from the pacific northwest so it's a little right. different but if she was from like our area like that's how we say diner can, can you say it again what would it be diner diner <laughs> all right you're right that's actually kind of funny right <laughs> so is, tim it diner it's diner but like, you know, we say like, oh, going to the diner. Go to the- yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, sorry, I digress. Now, this is when they find out that party house next door. That's where Tim Diner lives. His house is the party house. It's the diner house. It's the diner house. They were not fans of the fact that Tim was so much older and he was able to provide, you know, kind of all of the kids in the neighborhood, not just with alcohol, but also like a place to go. Which is always the worst thing you that could happen uh, when teens drink. It's like the possession of alcohol and also, oh, a place where you could drink it without anybody coming to bother you. Worst thing that could happen. Right. <laughs> because Tim lived in the basement of his house, which had its own entrance. Gotcha. So, and they were like, our daughter lives right next door, so she could just walk over anytime she wants. It's not like he lives on the other side of town. So here's this older guy who has access to all of this alcohol. He's definitely like, they know he smokes pot all the time because they always smell it coming from the house. Um, She could walk right in. There's no parental supervision. So they're like, we totally don't want our 16-year-old there, which makes sense. And they know about what goes down in the house because of her older siblings. That's true. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. So they did not want Dinah anywhere near him. And that was really the reason why they kind of didn't like the relationship. And the detectives in this process learned that his house was the party house location. So 
It was difficult to also keep Dinah away, and that was something the parents struggled with because all of her friends always went over his house. So what are they going to say? Isolate yourself from the community and where all the teenagers go? They were in a complicated situation. It is complicated. It is. Because like you said, it's the proximity. That's I think that's the worst part. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're literally neighbors. Uh, and it, I mean, how boy, you, your kid can't go out? Like you're not allowed to let him, let her out at all? And not, and not just that. She has to sit in the house while she's watching everyone go there. That she knows and friend, that are friends with. Right. I, and I think the biggest and what George was saying was like the biggest problem we had was when she went there alone, most definitely, because the day before on February 13th, this is when the grounding took place. George had found that his daughter was in Tim's basement, something she knew she wasn't allowed to do alone, alone. So he went over. It, it's a very well-known thing that Tim Diner's door is always unlocked. Okay. So he went in. He like burst through the doors. Wait, when she was there? When she was there. And he grabbed Dinah and dragged her back to their house and was like, you're grounded. You're never doing this again. Ah, okay. So that's what happened. First of all, that that is super embarrassing. I, if, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not saying he's wrong for doing that. I mean, honestly, if I was a father and that was taking place, I'd probably do the same thing. I'd probably, I'd probably go to jail. <laughs> but anyway, my point being is that she should feel embarrassed because why Why put your parents in that situation? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen. Well, you're even, not thinking that way when no, you're 16. No, I know. 16. But even like, yeah, but you know what, though? At, at, in some form, you know, listen, my parents don't want me here. I should know better than this. I'm probably putting myself in a really bad situation. I mean, there's no way that growing up you didn't even think at all like that, at least once or twice. Well, nothing, you know, is more like blinding than young love. Your first love, your first boyfriend. Yeah, until your dad just starts barreling through the door. (laughs) Hey, you know, we're going home. Like, that's so embarrassing. Of course it is, which is why she was probably mad at her father. No, she shouldn't be mad at him. She should be embarrassed. Well, I'm sure in time, when the young love (laughs) mist has gone away, true, she would feel that way. But, you know, in the moment, she was upset. And I think she was trying to do her best to kind of get over it. And that's why she had her other two friends there that day. But she was embarrassed about the grounding. So her and her father weren't necessarily in the best place. But once they returned to the house, George told Dinah, not only was she forbidden to ever see Tim again, but she was grounded as soon as the sun went down. So those were the final details of the grounding that the police really wanted to to get. So while the detectives had been questioning the victim's parents, the medical examiner had been performing the autopsy report. The report stated that Dinah had been stabbed in the back with a large 13-inch hunting knife. It was still in her body and pushed the entire way in. Her lung and heart had been pierced. Her death would have been quick but extremely painful. The detectives had their work cut out for them. Dinah, a beautiful 16-year-old girl, had been murdered on Valentine's Day just feet away from her family and home. She must have been in pain and desperate to reach safety. So they had to think, like, what if what Leanne was saying was completely correct? That she had entered the house at 1030, but that something had made her leave the house again. Had she been sneaking out to see her older forbidden boyfriend on Valentine's Day? Or had she seen someone she knew? Or was it a complete stranger lying in wait? 
what they were really thinking was like this, the town of Shoreline and especially this Richmond Beach area, it's, it's, I don't want to say secluded, but it's not a place that tourists go. So it's definitely someone that had to have been within the community, especially because of where this house was located. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's um, there's too many, like, coincidences, right? Because you have two houses. Let's just call it, for the sake of argument here, let's just say they're butted up against each other with, with a little bit of land separating the two houses, right? What are the odds that you have a, a party house next door Literally, the guy is has been dating the the, the uh, Dinah, right? And you have all these people in and out. So yeah, one hundred percent, it's somebody in the town, most likely a, a, a teenager that has been to these parties before, or it's the boyfriend. Well, before they do that, and this is very common with investigations, yes, the boyfriend was a person of interest that they wanted to speak to. But while they were doing the interviews with the parents, the detectives noticed that while they were talking to George, despite the fact that so much had transpired from the time that he went into Tim Diner's basement and dragged his daughter out, you know, meaning like her death. He was still so heated when he told the story. Like, he was so angry. And you would think that that anger would be a little displaced because he was so focused on his grief from finding his daughter's body in the backyard. But it wasn't. So they were thinking, you know, like, we got to clear the family first. That's always what you do in every investigation. Because you have to know who you can trust in asking questions to. And they felt like George's anger was excessive. So they were thinking, had he caught her going out again? Oh, wow. Like, was he thinking, like, it's Valentine's Day. She might sneak back out. Let me lie and wait a little bit. And then his anger was so intense that he He murdered his his daughter. daughter. I mean, I can see the theory having some credibility, right? But I, I think the murder weapon, it, the murder weapon itself speaks, it really does speak to us because I don't think it's normal for any person, unless you were literally maybe hunting or you were like well, it's a, a, a big doomsday hunt, prepper. It's a big hunting fishing community. But to have a, a, a 13 inch fixed hunting blade. Well, it's 13 inches from, from handle to tip. Handle to tip. Well, that's still big, though. Oh, it's really big. I mean, it's got to be at least like what seven inches, a seven eight inch blade. Yeah, that's big. But it also shows that you have to be. I mean, a knife is very sharp, especially a hunting knife. But I mean, the the ferocity that you need to like, you got to be running or have like a, a little like you're plunging that in like this poor girl. Yeah, to have pierced her lungs uh, and heart to, all the way, practically all the way through. Mm-hmm. That's insane. You are charging at her. You're not like. Get over here. Like, you're, you know, you're charging at her. Well, maybe she was insisting that she was going anyway, and that is what happened. And it was an accident, but it was like, I'm going to kill him if you go over there, but it ended up they got into a well, fight. Well, I think if we're trying to rule out the family, then I think it's really uh, a necessity to see if they even owned any hunting knives. Well, that is actually what they're going okay. to start doing And then next. also just to see where he was, his exact whereabouts. Well, his whereabouts was that he was home, which is the location of the murder. So it's actually 
what where you would expect him to be, but also the worst alibi at the same time. I know, right? Because like everyone's probably sleeping, so there's nobody to really say, "Hey, he was home sitting in bed with, or laying in bed with me," or you know, right? That's hard. And now another thing is that he was the first to discover the body, and that is always someone the police look into when they do murder investigations. I think at this point, the only somewhat red flag is probably the fact that his anger he's still very angry and his daughter's dead yeah you know i mean i you know and that could come from his grief too though because grief takes many forms and he might be angry at the fact that the last few days that he spent with his daughter were in anger or he like thinks that's that he knows who did it and that and it was the boyfriend right and he's been spending so many days trying to keep her keep her away from him and then this happened i don't know but right like i said i guess everyone does handle grief you know differently right it could just be the way his grief is manifesting sure so whether that theory held water or not they would have to wait and see but of course it's the natural direction of any case in any investigation you first have to clear the family the police asked for permission to search the peterson home In the garage, they found many knives that closely resembled and were the same size as the knife that had been used to kill Dinah, because he also was a hunter and a fisher. At this point, the detective's thinking had shifted. Maybe it was not that Dinah had been so close to home. Maybe it had been that she was trying to escape home because she was being attacked. So like like okay, leaving the premises yes. and being chased from the house. Right. Maybe she was headed towards the woods. The woods. Or her boyfriend's house. Or her house. boyfriend's house. Yeah. For safety. So they're like, okay, maybe this could maybe this crime didn't happen the way we think it happened. And maybe it was just a coincidence that the mother heard stuff in the woods, but it could have been her husband and her daughter. You would think though, with with how close everything is that sh- there wouldn't even be a sound, like a, a scream, nothing. Like, I mean, even if you were um, hurt that badly, well, the mother you heard screamed. A, the mother heard a screaming, but she thought that it was like two two kids playing around, like a shrieking, like, you know, like someone jumps out and scares you right. or like someone grabs you and you scream, like that kind of thing. Like I did this morning when you didn't know I was in the other room and I scared you on purpose? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's what she thought she heard. Okay. That's fair. So they saw all of this and they really wanted to kind of like figure out what was happening. Their theories surrounding George were either maybe he attacked Dinah in the house because she was preparing to leave or he had been lying in wait seeing if she would leave on Valentine's Day. Now, as always, is the next step in the death of teenagers because detectives know that teenagers talk to their friends more than they do their families they wanted to talk to Dinah's friends and they wanted to ask them you know like what was her family life like what was her relationship with her father like they thought they would find out more information from her friends so that's where they're going to go before they pursue anything further with George and I think it's good too because they're not keeping like blinders on you know but the main purpose of their investigative questions with the friends is, what was Dinah's home life like? Yeah, I mean, it's good to get that kind of insight. I would, though, try to speak to the the, the uh, siblings as well. 
I mean, I know they might not Wait. divulge so much. I mean, especially if they are uh, involved somehow, um, like the father or whatever. But I would like to hear from them as well. The Yeah, the siblings that lived at home at the time were questioned. Okay. So Dinah's friends explained that the Peterson home was a very busy one, but a loving one. That Dinah would complain if she was ever punished, but it was never anything more than they all com- what they all complained about. Like, it was just your average house. That's what they said. There was nothing weird about Dinah's father or her relationship with him. So it seemed like everything was kind of like on the up and up with the house. But as the questioning of the friends was taking place, the theories that the police had about George Peterson were completely disappearing. Because every time the investigators would show a picture of the knife used to kill Dinah, they received the same answer from everyone. Their intention had been to see if any of the friends remembered seeing the hunting knife in the Peterson home. But each girl told them no. But they knew who the knife did belong to. Okay. Dinah's boyfriend, Tim Diner. Ooh, okay. So now we're getting somewhere. Now the boy who was told he was forbidden to ever see Dinah again was the one who owned the murder weapon. So had something about that interaction been a catalyst for murder? Had it been like what you said? Was there something jealous, some jealousy that took place that night because she was out with other people? Maybe. Or he had that weird, uh, crazy, in a blaze of glory moment where he's like... If I can't if have I, you. Yeah, you beat me to it. Oh, if sorry. I can't have you, then no one can kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, right. that's a possibility too. So the police began to look into Tim Diner. He was born in Seattle on October 15th, 1955, but was raised in the house right next to Dinah. He was very popular and very good looking. And one of the reasons he was so popular was because he was such a well-known partier. And it was in his little basement spot that most of the parties for the teenagers of the town were. It was also just a hangout spot. It was a well-known fact that Tim's door would always be unlocked and you could go there to escape, have a few beers or smoke pot. It was the place. And Tim Diner had, at that point, recently fallen in love with the girl next door. Dinah had always had a crush on him, but there was always that three-year age gap. And it wasn't until she got older that he began to notice her. And that was when the two started dating. And by all accounts, they were crazy about each other. In the beginning, before they were even dating, the Petersons did not like the idea of Dinah going over to hang out with Tim, whether there were people there or not. But like we talked about before, it was hard for them to say no because it's where all the kids were going. But when they found out that the two were dating and that they would have all the privacy they wanted, that was when the romance and even a friendship was completely forbidden between the two. Now getting back to the knife, all of Dinah's friends and then later all of the teenagers that frequented Tim's basement said that the knife was easily recognizable as Tim's. Everyone was pretty familiar with it because he was really proud of the knife. He was always showing it off and when he wasn't showing it off, it was sitting on a mantelpiece, like on a display kind of thing. So he was obsessed with this knife. It was something of a trophy to him. 
Okay, any particular reason? It was just a really nice hunting okay. knife. It was just something that he liked. Okay. Yeah, and it was really expensive. So now it was time for detectives to talk to Tim. The first thing they ask him for is his alibi. He said that he had been out at a friend's house until 11 p.m. He knew that he wasn't allowed to see Dinah, so he knew that if he was going to see her, that she would have to sneak out really late at night, so he passed the time by going out with a friend. He remembered that when he got home, he had heard Dinah's dog barking in the family's backyard. He said as soon as he got home, he went straight through the basement door that he always used and began watching a movie to pass the time. He hoped that maybe Dinah would try and sneak out again and see him. He'd been really tired and the movie was supposed to keep him up, but instead he fell asleep. And when he woke up the following morning, there were police officers all over the street. You know, when you, in the beginning of the episode, you said to me, that his door was always open and anyone can go in there, right? Right. So I just want to propose to you a little something extra. Could it be that someone stole his prized hunting knife, used it in the commission of this horrendous murder, cleaned it, and put it back before he even realized? No, because it was still in her back. Oh, that's right. I apologize. But but what you're saying does hold water. Yeah. If the whole, oh, well, I say the whole town, but if all the kids of the town know that there's this knife, this very large knife and an open door, if they wanted to either frame him for murder or just find a murder weapon, period, they know they could just open Tim's door and get it. Right. That's where I'm getting at. And, yeah. and thank you. I don't know why I would forget that That's massive okay. detail. Um, but yeah, but it does go to the whole point now, though, that I can't write the father off either. What if the father, I mean, in this crazy state of mind that he might have been in over this, tried to set him up by using the knife that he knew that he had there? Right. Because like you said... Other uh, other uh, family members knew what went on in that place. So he could have overheard one of his children talking about that people say that there's a knife in there and he has it up on a shelf or whatever. Like, he doesn't write him off. He might not have had that knife in the house, but he could have used the kid's knife. Well, the 19-year-old's knife. No, what you're saying is completely right. And it's so funny that you say that because that was also the thought process of the detectives because they spoke with Tim's friend, the one that was his alibi, the one he was with until 11. And after the friend confirmed that Tim was with him and as did his family, they were thinking, okay, well, you know, there is also a strong possibility because they asked him, did you notice if your knife was there or not? And he said, I really honestly didn't look. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a hop, skip, and a jump to go over there and grab it. Other, Also, one more thing. I'm thinking, too, the fact that she was stabbed in the back, I get this feeling that if it was the boyfriend, the, I don't think the boyfriend – I think the boyfriend would have wanted her to see him. Whereas if it was the father or a family member or someone else, they probably wouldn't want th- uh, the daughter to see him stabbing her. Meaning right. that's why it was done in the back, not in the front. I know what you're saying. Like, if it was the boyfriend, it would have been a little bit more personal. Correct. And it would have made more sense that way. Yeah. To, if he was in some sort of frenzy to do that. 
It would have been up, right. up, up close, up in front, not from the back as a sneak attack. Well, the detectives were definitely thinking, okay, listen, the door was open and people knew where the weapon was, but it does seem kind of weird that someone would do that, right? Like, if someone's intending to murder Dinah, then them going and getting the murder weapon from someone else's house seems kind of bizarre. Why wouldn't they just bring one with them unless they were trying to frame Tim for the murder because everyone knows he has this murder weapon. Well, leaving the knife in the victim seems very deliberate. Correct. So maybe it is some sort of staging of of a current, like, you know, staging to get somebody in trouble. And if it was him, would he have left it in her with everyone knowing that that was his knife? He most likely would have tried to hide it. Yeah, which is kind of where I'm headed with that. So next, to get a better picture of what happened that night, the detective spoke again to the two friends that were in the basement the evening of the murder with Dinah. They had been questioned before, but only to ask what Dinah's relationship with her family was like, and if the girls had really gotten pizza that night, which they had. So now the detectives wanted to know what they were watching, if Dinah had said anything, and if she was acting strange. And both friends said no, that everything was completely normal, and they'd gone out to get pizza, so they weren't cooped up on Valentine's Day. To confirm time frames, the investigators wanted to speak to Leanne Peterson, who was home when the friends came over and when Dinah and her girlfriend had gone out to get pizza. As the police were asking her questions about that night, something jogged her memory. Dinah had been with her close girlfriend, who was always over the house, and another kid, a boy from the neighborhood by the name of James Groth. And he was, as far as Leanne understood, Included because the girls and other people, other kids in the neighborhood, too, felt a little bad. Like, he was a little weird, odd, but they included him in everything they did. Okay. With the understanding that he was kind of, like, always on the outside of things. So he was a year younger than Dinah was at 15. And he more or less always kind of tagged along with the older kids And that was why when Dinah and her friend left to go get pizza, they made plans on their own and left him out. Well, that's not nice. No. So Leanne said that Dinah and her friend had come upstairs and they begged for a while for the punishment to be lifted. And eventually she relented. After the girls left, she had gone down to the basement to see if the kids had left a mess because usually they did. And she was startled to see that James was still in the basement. So they just left this kid in the basement of the house? And Well, what? I mean, they probably assumed he would leave, too. Oh, so he just was weird and was just hanging out. Yeah. Okay. So he said he thought the girls would be really quick, but it was getting late. So Leanne told the boy that maybe it would just be better if he headed home and called Dinah in the morning because most likely she wouldn't want her to be hanging out with people when she returned so late. Like the mom was like, she's not going to, we don't want people over so late. Right. She's kind of she's probably just saying, hey, like, leave my house. Yeah. Like get out of here. What are you doing? <laughs> this is weird. What the yeah. hell are you doing in my basement, James? Exactly. <laughs> so James agreed that it was probably a good idea to head home, which was only down the block at the time. So now investigators wanted to know more about this because the two times they had questioned James, he had not mentioned that he stayed in the Peterson house after the girls had left. James said that it wasn't totally strange 
It had happened before where people would go out for food and the rest of the people would just sit and wait. Plus, it was Friday night, so he really wasn't in a rush to head home. And they got the impression that his home life wasn't necessarily the best. He said that after Mrs. Peterson said he should head home, that he didn't go home. Instead, he went to the bowling alley in town where he met up with other friends. He stayed there until about midnight. And after he left the bowling alley, he had time to pass Tim Diner's house. And he was always in the habit of, like, on his way home, he would peek in the basement to see if any kids were partying. So if they were, he could join them. The detectives had heard that many kids in the neighborhood often just dropped by Tim's house unannounced to see if anything was going on. So they didn't think that was necessarily strange. However, when he opened the basement door, James said that he found that Tim was sleeping. So he just continued walking to his house. So detectives are a bit suspicious of the story that Tim's telling. I mean, it is a little weird. I mean, let's face it. I mean, he try he's making this elaborate story about how he left and had you know went to the bowling alley went to the house he was sleeping i don't know well it almost it it does confirm tim's story that he had fallen asleep it if anything that's that's the only thing that it does but his but this kid's story is a little odd oh how you think it too much is happening Maybe, uh, yeah, I, I, and and also just not being forthcoming. I mean, they this is the second or third time they've talked to him, so this is like the first time that we're getting this story. So it is weird. That's something that is a is a bit of a red flag in his story. Maybe he's nervous. He's being questioned by the cops. I mean, he is fifteen, but I I don't know. I just find that a little odd. It is strange. It could go one or two ways. It's odd that he's not being forthcoming, or he's just a normal. 15-year-old kid that comes from a bad home in 1975 trying to escape going home. But let's be honest, And though, looking it, for places to go. Yeah, but let's be honest. I mean, if you, you know, your your friend has been murdered, I think you'd want to help. And say everything that happened that night. The first time. Yeah. So detectives were thinking more along the same lines. You know, they were like, there's a lot going on with this kid's stories. And we've talked to him three times and we're we're kind of getting different stories each time. So they asked him if he would take a lie detector test and he agreed. Now, there's no information available about James Groth's parents, but it did seem like they were mostly absent because they're never mentioned in the police questioning of their son, who's only 15 years old. Um, So James does take this lie detector test, and he failed it. He did? Yes. But they don't tell him right away. They let a few days pass, three to be exact, and then they call him down to the station again. They let James know that he failed the lie detector test. So they asked him what had really happened that night. And of course, his story changed again. James told them that he did go to the bowling alley, but he had not left at midnight. Rather, he left around 10 p.m. He went over to Tim's to see if anyone was there, but when he opened the door, he realized that no one was home, which would make sense if Tim's story is true, his alibi, because at 10 p.m. he would have been out with his friend. He said he didn't return home until 11. So that was when he made the decision to head home. It would be faster for him to cut through the Peterson's backyard, which a lot of kids did. And when he crossed through the backyard, that was when he had seen Dinah. 
She was lying on the ground with a knife sticking out of her back. He told him that he was very scared and that he ran away. It was all he knew to do. He didn't know why. He, he said he was scared, sad, confused. He was in disbelief and he just knew he wanted to get away from the scene. And he thought about going to tell someone or calling the police. But as he was getting closer to his house to do so, he was thinking, well, if I tell the police this, they're, they're going to think it was me. So that's why he didn't tell anyone that he had actually been the first one to find her body. And you don't think that that's something that you should have let them know? I, I don't know. I just, If that's my friend on the floor like that, I mean, even though I would be petrified, and I'm not saying, and I'm not trying to say I would be like some kind of tough guy here, but I'd go over, even though I was scared, and see if she's still alive, if she's breathing, and see, get I, help. I don't want to use the word friend. Okay. Because, I, I mean, I think the best way to characterize his relationship with the other teenagers in town was that they, they kind of tolerated him. They probably made fun of him a lot. That was kind okay. of the way things were. Right. So I, I think he was, he's, was like a hanger on a younger kid who was described as being really weird. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, that does change a lot. Yes. If you, if we, if we classify he, him as that, it changes everything. He felt like an outsider. So he was saying, because, you know, a lot had gone on between him and his friendships with the teenagers in the town. He just thought that he would be blamed for this. So that's why he ran away. And that's why he lied. So the detective said, well, how about you take a second lie detector test for us to to help us determine whether or not you're finally telling us the truth. And he does take a second lie detector test. And he recounts the same exact story that he just told the police. And he passes. Okay. I mean, but we know how those tests are. That's very true. So at this point, five days had passed since the murder. And the only viable suspect the investigators believed they had was Tim Diner. So they had him come in to take a lie detector test as well. And while he was taking the lie detector test at the station, the police were executing a search warrant that they had for his home. No blood evidence was found in the basement, but they did find a pair of pants that appeared to have a blood-like stain on them. They were kept as evidence. They also seized a pair of boots that looked like they could have small traces of blood on them. Back at the station, Tim had been given the results of his polygraph test. He failed it. But unfortunately, there is nothing the police can do with any of this. The blood can't be tested because they don't have that kind of forensics back then in the 1970s, and a lie detector test is inadmissible in court. They would have to wait either for Tim Diner to come clean, for a witness to come forward, or for more evidence to be found. Investigators would have to wait longer than expected for any of that. And many of them that worked the Dinah Peterson case retired, as nothing changed for 31 years. 31 years. Oh my, this is just like the other case that we did recently, like... It's like we have to wait so long to find because, you know, technology just gets so advanced. So, you know, but it takes a little while to get it going. But to think that there was a time where if you did not have someone come forward or a witness 
or catching somebody in the act doing it, it was it would be very hard to get them, in, you know, get them on what they did. Yeah, I would say a lot of court cases relied on purely circumstantial evidence. That Which, is mind blowing to yeah. think that that's how it used to be. And if you were to bring this in front of a jury in 1975, honestly, like I know they didn't have they had a lack of physical evidence. But if they would kind of bring it to a jury, a jury might have convicted Tim Diner of this of this murder. Based it, on... It was his knife. Yeah. She could have been seen out with other people on Valentine's Day. He, she didn't come to see him when she finally did. There was a fight. A lot of things. But that's also a she shame. She was telling him, I can't <laughs> yeah. see her. So there's a lot of... Like, it could have come to fruition he did fail a lie detector test it can be mentioned right he he would be the oh the jealous boyfriend that killed his girlfriend because Mm -hmm. he saw her with someone or something something to that effect right so the small tight-knit community really changed after the murder of dinah peterson although they did not know exactly who killed dinah the suspicion had always been on her boyfriend the boyfriend who had failed a lie detector test and had been forbidden to see her Tim. And Tim went from being the most liked kid in the neighborhood to a social pariah. Everywhere he went, people whispered, that's the boy that killed the Peterson girl. And no one would talk to him anymore or go party in his basement with him. And what was difficult too was the fact that the Petersons had to go on living next door to the boy that they believed killed their daughter. It was very difficult for George and Leanne, who said that every time they saw him, they would fly into a rage that they wouldn't be able to control. After about a year, the Petersons made the tough choice to move. They could no longer live next to Tim Diner and see their backyard every day as a constant reminder of what they had lost. In 2006, a cold case detective was assigned the 31-year-old case of Dinah Peterson. At first, they'd been excited about the prospect of the case, because based on the case file, there was blood evidence that could be tested that would either help convict Tim Diner or exonerate him. However, the excitement was quickly quelled when the detectives learned that a clerk, who had been eager to make more space in 1987, had thrown out all of the physical evidence collected from Tim Diner's basement. Are you serious? Yep. You've got to be kidding me, right? No. No. Why? Make space for what? What are you making space for? I think it we can't be more that. evidence because then we would just throw throw that away as well. Right. So what are you doing? Isn't that wild? That makes me angry. That is so crazy. I, I want to know. I need to know. What possessed you? What were you making room for? Um, in newspaper articles, the clerk has it, the clerk was described as an overzealous clerk. Yeah, I th- yeah, I guess so. Like going on a massive cleaning spree, I guess. Yeah, let's clean the evidence locker. Oh my god. Or what? The only piece of physical evidence that remained was the murder weapon from the Peterson case. See, that's a shame. Yeah. Because there was there was an article of of uh Tim's pants, right? And and his boots. And his boots that had blood on it. Yeah. Oh, man. So it was a shame. And evidence from the other cases had been thrown out as well. And, you know, it was difficult because he was claiming that that was probably from, like, when he went hunting. And that was what it was. But 
Yeah, but you we'll know what? Yeah, right, you wouldn't have known that. You would have to test it to see if it was Correct. human or in animal origin. So now that they didn't have that physical evidence, the only thing that was going to solve this case would be to pour over the case files with a fresh eye and see if there was anything that the original detectives may have missed. In reading over all of the interviews with the suspects and the neighborhood kids, the new detectives came to one conclusion. The detectives at the time, in 1975, had blinders on. Tim's story had never changed, and his alibi with his friend and his friend's family had not either. He seemed genuinely upset about the death of his girlfriend. On the other hand, there was time and opportunity for someone to have grabbed Tim's weapon when he was not home, especially because his door was always unlocked and they knew it would be, and they would know right where the weapon would be, like you said. Right. So detectives now looking over the files were even more suspicious of James Groth. I mean, if he was going to weirdly sit in someone's basement, I don't throw it past this kid to go across and go grab a knife. And I also don't throw it past him that he would sit and wait. You know, I mean, just... Right, he just, was going to do it inside. Right, he was going to sit outside? and wait inside with nobody around him. <laughs> the kids from the neighborhood had said that James was a strange kid. And they believed that he had been a bit obsessed with Dinah. Oh, okay, okay. We're getting somewhere. And ever since he had started dating Tim, he had been really jealous. Because there was no way he could ever compete with that. He's a year younger than her. He's a, he's a bit odd. Whereas you have Tim, who was described as being extremely good looking. He's very popular. He's got his own basement space. He's three years older. So he was very jealous. One kid even said that James had been caught looking through Dinah's window by one of her siblings. No. That's so weird. Mm-hmm. An intrusive. <laughs> An intrusive. <laughs> <laughs> then they had found a report from another child from the neighborhood who was James's age that after the two of them had gotten into a physical altercation, James had knocked the boy down and said, I've killed one girl, and I'll kill again. He said that. He said that, too. And it was in police records. Are we dealing with another case of just, like, people just not, like, following things up the right way? No. that's, that's what it feels like. What the new detective said was that they did the worst thing you could do in an investigation is you have a one-track mind where you have it set in your head that Tim Diner was the one who committed this murder and now every piece of evidence that you find you try to see how it's going to help you accuse Tim of it versus looking at it for what it really is it's like finding evidence and trying to take a, a, a circle you know peg and try to you know put it in a square hole it's not right come on that that's that is what it seems like here because they had a lot going for them. Even without that evidence of the boots and, and, and the pants, they did have a lot of stuff. Well, and James's timeline just completely doesn't make sense and leaves a lot of room for him to have committed the murder. That's true. And in addition to this, it would make sense, right? I mean, James even kind of explained it. He passed Tim's house, stops in, no one's home. 
And if he did leave the bowling alley at around 10, then he would have gotten to Tim's house before he got home from being with his friend at 11. So he could have grabbed the knife and then he was lying in wait to see if Dinah would leave her house to go see Tim. Yes. And if she did, he stopped her and that might have been what the mother heard, like a playful, oh, you scared me, just like you said. Yes. That, and, see, that fits very well. And then it got scary because James had scared kids in the neighborhood before like that, like, oh, just popping up somewhere. And now if she's saying, no, I'm going to Tim's house, then the rage comes. Well, I have no rage, but I do take great pleasure in hiding in places and scaring you in well, the house. I'm glad there's no rage behind that. <laughs> no rage. But, you know, that that does fit the story like, completely. If that's the way uh, the events play, uh, played itself out, that fits. Yep. The best. So it was all of those things that made James a very interesting suspect. But the one detail that jumped out at the detectives most was James's second story. He said that when he had gone to cut through Dinah's yard and found her, that he saw the knife sticking out of her back. Well, based on the testimony of George Peterson, first responders, and the medical examiner, that would have been impossible because Dinah Peterson was found lying on her back and the knife was not visible. So how would James know where the knife was sticking in her body? He would know that the murder weapon was the knife because the police were showing it around to Dinah's friends. But how would he know that it was in her back? Because he's giving the perspective of him right after he stabbed her. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. Yep. They also knew that Dinah had always been on her back, right? It wasn't like, oh, like her dog was out there with her or her body could have rolled. They knew that was not the case because the blood had pooled to her back. So it meant that she was in that position from the time of her death. Right. The only person who couldn't have known where the knife would be, except for the people that found her body that day, was the killer. Right. The one that stabbed her. Yeah. Unless you can make the argument that he could have lifted her body up, but that seems unlikely because that's not what he said. Right. He said he, said he, he, was he saw it and ran. Right. He was afraid. So after coming to this conclusion, the detectives now working the cold case wanted to see what James Groth had been up to for the 31 years since Dinah's murder. Just two years after the incident, in 1977, at the age of 17, James left home to join the Army. After he left the Army, he chose to move to Alaska and become a fisherman. Over the years, he had been arrested several times and had been in and out of jail because of domestic violence charges. In total, he had been convicted three times for assault on the women he was in relationships with. Not doing good here, huh? 31 years. It took years because everything is slower with cold cases and there were some setbacks. But the detectives were finally able to track James down. He was serving the last eight days of an eight-month sentence for another domestic violence charge in King County Jail. His story had changed slightly from the one that he told back in 1975, but he still said that one thing that had piqued the detective's interest. 
he had found Dinah lying in the backyard with a knife in her back. The investigators asked him if he would take another lie detector test, and he said yes, and he failed it. Even though they didn't have much physical evidence, the district attorney of King County thought that they would have enough to get him convicted of a murder, a murder he had gotten away with for decades. Because I guess their thought process was, what's the harm at this point? And it seems pretty violent. Yeah. I mean, he's already been to jail a few times already. Yes, he's making his own case worse. So during the trial, the prosecution laid out what they thought happened on the night of February 14, 1975. They believed that James Groth had been obsessed with Dinah and that he had waited for her down in her basement after she went to go get pizza with a friend for a reason. He knew that she had been forbidden to see Tim, so maybe he thought that he was going to have his chance. And what better day than Valentine's Day? However, his plan to wait for her to come home had been thwarted by Dinah's mother, who told him to go home. From there, he went to the bowling alley, but came back a lot earlier than he said he did. He went to Tim's and found that no one was there. And he thought this was a good sign. He took the knife for whatever reason, maybe to hurt Tim or Dinah, and then he waited in the woods. He was going to scare Dinah. And that was the kind of strange thing that James had been known to do. He was odd, but they all kind of accepted it. When Dinah went to sneak out to see her older boyfriend on Valentine's Day, she was confronted by a shadow that came out from the trees. She shrieked and then yelled out playfully. And that must have been what her mother heard. It was just James. James trying to scare her. We will never know what was said or what made him turn, but he did. And the physical evidence of the scene showed that Dinah had been scared for a reason, so she tried to run away from James. She was so close to home, and I bet that she thought she was going to make it, especially when her mother opened the back door. But he had been able to grab her and stab her in the back. He left her to fall to the ground in the backyard, and when he did, he never turned around to see which way her body fell, because that was what gave him away. This is crazy. Because he didn't look back. Yeah. The prosecution also brought to the stand the now adult that James had gotten into a fight with back when they were kids after the murder took place. He said that James told him he killed a girl once. The man had said he never forgot what James had said and how he had looked when he said it. In the end, the defense just kept trying to reiterate the fact that there was no physical evidence. And they just said that James was an awkward kid trying to sound tough to someone who had been bothering him for quite some time. But that was really all they had in defense of him. It was an interesting case, and nobody really knew which way it was going to fall because of the lack of evidence. But after presenting their case in the closing arguments, the prosecution asked the jury to right a wrong that had been made by investigators for so long. They had blinders on, and they blamed Tim Diner for a crime that he had never committed. They had focused on the wrong person, but now they, the jury, could help get justice for Dinah Peterson. Another point of this is, is I know this case is very interesting because 
in one hand, it relies so heavily on lie detectors. But now you're saying the person that was innocent also failed a lie detector test. Right. That's And that's exactly why it can't be used. That's why it's inadmissible. But I feel like when even though they say that, I always feel that that's not true in the minds of a jury. If the jury hears, I and maybe I, and I'm speaking from what I think, but if, if a majority of the jury hears that, they're probably going to be like, Maybe he is lying, or maybe he is telling the truth. So I feel like it can still sway that. I feel like even though you know they say it doesn't, it depends if they're a true crime aficionado. <laughs> maybe, not. yeah, I don't know, but <laughs> I would just say that it's it. You know, you can't just say that it doesn't. It's true. Well, the jury took their job very seriously, and they deliberated for three days. In the end, James Groth was found guilty of murder. And he was sentenced to 16 years to life in prison. He will be eligible for parole in 2025. The only solace we could ever have in this verdict was that if he had been tried in 1975 as a 15-year-old boy, he probably only would have served a few years. Which in this case makes you think, is it better that it went cold for 31 years so that way he served more of a sentence for the horrible death of that poor kid? Yeah, and he he kind of showed his true colors. He went on and not saying that he committed murder, but he was very violent to his partners. And it shows that he is capable of aggression right. uh, when it comes to the people that he is supposed to be showing affection for. Right. He didn't add anything to society for 31 years. And even if they did, like the, like our other episode where she was a decorated police officer, like mm-hmm. even though she did so much good, it doesn't justify the fact that she murdered someone in cold blood. That's just crazy town. Right. So regardless if they add something to society or they don't, it doesn't matter. But in this case, I like the fact that it did go cold because in the end, that girl, that family, you know, and you could even say the boyfriend a little bit got justice for this murder. Yeah. Because he was the boyfriend was able to clear his name, the parents. And, I mean, and, after so long. I know, now. but I mean, still, and the family got to have true justice here. I agree. So that's where I stand. I think it is good that he was able to get that longer sentence, but it did. I know the the boyfriend got justice, but he had to live with that shadow over his head for such a long time, and it truly destroyed his entire reputation. And yeah. having that happen at just 19 years old and then carry with you for the rest of your life is is something that's very difficult, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, everyone, uh, you know, thinking about this family and their loss that they suffer, too. Yeah. It destroyed the lives of the Peterson family. And how about the fact that the, at one point the father was a suspect? I'm sure that didn't really feel too good for that family. No. And they're always going to have this missing hole of one of their siblings. Yeah. Not having... To live past the age of 16, which is so sad. So sad. It's horrible. So it had been the friend lying in wait to see if she was going to sneak out to see her boyfriend. You mean the hanger-on? Yeah. (laughs) It was a very interesting case. Very well presented. Good one. I like it. Thank you. Well, before we go, what we want to do is we want to say thank you to our new subscribers on Patreon. So we just want to give a big thank you to Amanda Walsh, Abigail Ferris-Dannon, Christina McLean, L. Thulborn, 
Seneca, Emma Post, Liz S., Kelton Niels, F. Livingston, Ashley, Catherine Smith, Renew, Sandrine, Zenon Noel Dugois, Jen, Tennille Walters, Chloe Eggleston, Tracy Gilmore, Sophie Upped Her Pledge, Anita Jimenez Suarez, Ella Hoffman, Erin Bailey, Shauna Tolette, Jin Juiced, that's a great name. That is going to be me once the summer hits. Carrie Rand, Eric Salazar, Lily Upped Her Pledge, Nathan, Denisa Salamovic, Julia Arbuckle, Danny Sullivan, and Caroline Looney. All right, guys, we really appreciate you joining us for this episode. Until next time, don't park next to vans. Bye, guys. Bye.